All right, what is going on, everybody? Welcome back to Saber Sims DFS Office Hours. It is Thursday, August 4th of 2022. Thank you for tuning into the stream here today. We have an eight-game baseball slate here tonight. We have a three-game baseball slate going on later this afternoon. Uh, I won't be playing that one. I am diving into that eight-game slate here tonight. Uh, we also have our first football game of the season here tonight. Uh, at least preseason. Uh, the Hall of Fame game is here tonight. As of uh, earlier this morning, uh, it is up in the app. We won't have Sims for any preseason games, but um, it does look like, uh, I, I was wrong about actually what I said yesterday. It does look like we will have the slates up in the app. So if you do have a set of projections uh, handy or you want to just take a shot at kind of projecting some of these players yourself, it is, I think, a bit of a crapshoot anyway to know exactly, especially some of this for this first season of preseason, who's going to play. Um, yeah, I would say go for it. Uh, fire away at it. There are, uh, of course there is, there is a 50K to first uh, contest on DraftKings here for this uh, showdown uh, preseason football game here tonight. That is just what the NFL DFS uh world is like it, it it blows my mind every time we get we have a 50 uh 50k to first DraftKings baseball slate most nights uh for like for games that actually count uh for for like actually playable slates and then here comes football uh hall of fame game um first preseason game of the season Boom, 50K to first showdown here uh, for people to uh, sweat this game out, though. So um, anyway, I, I'm all for it. I'm very, very excited for, for football season here. Uh, and in fact, uh, the one question we have in our queue here for today, uh, we only have one. So if you have questions for me, put them into the queue here now. Um, but the one question we have is about football showdown strategy. So uh, that is actually where we start. will start today. But before we dive into that real quickly, uh, for anybody tuning in for the very first time into Office Hours, uh, welcome. My name is Jordan. I'm the head coach here at SaberSim. And on this show, I answer questions uh, from our community about how to use SaberSim to build better DFS lineups. So there are a lot of different ways to get your questions answered on this show. If you are joining me live here, you can answer live uh, or ask live in the YouTube chat. Um, you can also ask live in the Office Hours channel in Slack. And of course, if you catch the recording of this, uh, stumble on the recording or the podcast or anything of uh, that nature, you can always email us, support at sabersim.com. So let's go ahead. Let's get the app pulled up. Um, and I'm over here on baseball right now. But again, the one question we have is about football. So uh, let's go ahead here and start talking about that. It's from Jeremy. Um and uh pretty cool um or pretty pretty uh straightforward question here um can you walk through your process for nfl showdown so let's go dig up um an nfl showdown slate from last year uh maybe we'll go um oh there it is there is the slate here tonight that is exciting isn't it that just feels good um very very exciting um we don't have we don't have the sims up for uh week one like True. Actually, really, this this shouldn't even be saying week one. This is actually really preseason week one, I guess. Um, week zero looks a little funny anyway. Anyway, uh, what I'm trying to say, we don't have the actual slates up here uh, for the, the regular season just yet. But let's go dig up one here from last year. Um, maybe, I don't know, what should we pick here? What what feels right? Uh, how about week 14, right? That seems kind of fun. And we'll go and we'll pick a game out. Um, looks like right in the middle of December here. Um, obviously, there are showdown slates for every 
game of the week in football, but what would be a fun one here? Uh, we could do, why not do this Thursday night football here uh, that we had between Pittsburgh and Minnesota, right? So I'll try to talk about what I, I look for here. Um, and I will preface this by saying the same thing that I say pretty much every single time we talk about showdown, right? If you think about, if you break down the game dynamics of, of what we are trying to do in a showdown contest, right? We have a single game of football here, uh, and we want to figure out what are the possible game outcomes, right? What are the different ways this game could play out? How likely are certain different outcomes to occur? And then what do the DFS lineups look like that are associated with those game outcomes? Right. So if we, you know, if we say, Hey, like this game uh, is going to end up being, I don't know, 32 to, to, or I don't know, 35 to 28, uh, this percentage of the time, what are the, the different DFS lineups that look like that? Right. That's essentially what we're trying to do. And doing just that is very, very hard by hand or uh, on a traditional optimizer, right? I think humans in general are are, are pretty bad at adequately uh, assessing the true range of outcomes of what's possible. And then I think even from there, uh, you are likely to overestimate what players are likely to be successful even in certain game scripts. Uh, all of that is what is essentially automated from Saberson, Right. Uh, we have like when we look at any of these players here, so you can say, yeah, so on this particular slate, like sure, uh, Justin Jefferson was projected for 20.71 fantasy points, but he actually has a range of outcomes associated with that. Um, and this is common, I think, uh, often for um, your typically for your uh, wide receivers, higher variance players, right, where their mean, their most common outcome is actually going to be a lot lower than their average. Right. Uh, I think it, it may come to sur surprise. I think it may come to some people's surprise to see that Justin Jefferson, while he's projected for 21 points, his most common outcome is actually about 11, right? That's that's not necessarily intuitive what you might expect. Um, the reason that projection is so much higher is because of this big tail of, of ceiling outcomes where he's scoring 30, uh, 40, like maybe even the, the Jamar Chase 50, 50 burger, right? Uh, so anyway, when we build lineups with Saberson, right? We come over here, uh, we set our settings. We are going to get lineups that are basically building an optimal of a single game sim, right? Is this the Dalvin Cook game? Um, I think it is. I should, I remember this game now. Um, I think, yes, yes, indeed. I think it is. Um, anyway, um, so we are going to get, uh, oh, this is the one, this was a weird situation. I actually remember this game well. Uh, we had the split. I actually talked about this game the very next day on an office hour stream. Um, and actually one of the things I talked about on that particular stream here and, and still useful here um, is the, like in this particular situation, we essentially split time for Cook and Madison. Um, it was, he was questionable coming in uh, and it was unclear how much either of these guys was going to play. And one of the things I actually had talked about on that stream, the stream that we did, it was the Friday, the very next Friday after this game. Uh, because if you built lineups like this, and we'll see here in a second, if you built lineups like this, you actually got very little Dalvin Cook. Uh, because basically this this was this is almost hedging, right? This is splitting the difference between those two. And one of the things I talked about is to look for situations like this sometimes. Uh, and you might as well pick a side um, or, you know, or, you know, maybe build some lineups with one projected one way or, or one projected the other way, but you might as well pick a side here because this doesn't really help anybody as it is. But anyway, anyway, that's beside the point. Let's, let's just talk about broader strategy here. Right. Um, so let's build some lineups here and just start looking at what these look like. Right. So anyway, what Saberson does is it does a very good job of identifying what the best lineups are to play. Uh, and what I like to do 
uh, is add a little bit of additional value by figuring out what is the field going to do and playing the other side of that, right? How is the field going to think about this game? Uh, how can I afford to get a little bit different? Uh, and there's a few different ways you can do that. I think one is just the ownership projections, right? Um, I think the ownership projections will do a very good job. Uh, in this case, I think we were actually one of the few providers here that actually hedged this at all. Right. I think it was I think the public perception, as indicated by this ownership projection, was definitely that Madison was going to get the run. And Dalvin Cook was like basically a decoy for this game. So that's kind of why he was so highly owned, um, but also the ownership projections. And then also just like the game context, right, the game script itself. Right. Uh, looking at the game total and the spread to kind of identify what people think of this game is going to be. So this game about a four point spread here. Uh 44 point total. So probably a lower scoring game. I think at this point in the season, people uh, were kind of aware that the Steelers offense was pretty anemic last year. Um, so what does that mean? I think people are going to probably favor Minnesota stacks a little bit more playing like a little bit more on the Minnesota side of that game. And I think you're also going to see uh, some more running backs involved in, in lineups. I think you're going to see some kickers and some defenses here. And let's just actually look at 20 lineups. Cause I think it simplifies it a little bit here. Uh, you can do this for a hundred lineups or 150 lineups as well. But uh, so how can we get a little bit different? Well, I'll just kind of start testing this out and seeing like, what can we do uh, can we can we get can we vary the game script from what people expect is going to happen here? Um, and one way I might do that is just by starting by saying like, what happens if we just x out the Minnesota stacks and let's assume that that Pittsburgh uh, wins this game, right? Um, and let's go one step further here and let's x out uh, some Vikings players from the uh, captain spot as well, and say we want a we want a Steelers captain, and we want a um, we want a Steelers lineup, right? Um, and we can keep going further, right? What kind of lineups are we getting here now? Double kicker lineup, right? Again, low low score, right? So uh, I think those are going to be popular constructions. So I might start xing out defenses, uh, which I don't like to play a ton anyway, and kickers, right? Let's play that this game actually goes off a little bit more. Um, and then we get this message, right? What is this message saying? This message is saying, hey, we don't have lineups that look like what you are asking us to do in the pool here anymore. And this to me is a sign that I've done too much. So let's back off this a little bit here instead, right? Let's reset everything get back to where we were before and try a different angle. So what I'm going to try this time instead is instead of trying to be really aggressive there, let's let's start by trying to X out some of these. I think when you have a lower total game, you really start to see people really favor some of those pitchers um, and um, uh, pitchers, man, I'm all messed up. Kickers and defenses, right? Uh, and you can see even in our Sims, right? Those are two pretty popular plays. I'm going to X them out. Because I want to play an angle that there is so much scoring here uh, that that isn't the way that the game plays out. That isn't the optimal path for the game here. Um, so I'm going to X these guys out here. Um, cool. And then the other thing I might I might start to do here is just kind of look. Uh, I'll also keep an eye out. You know, I I football is interesting, and I, I'm a little out of practice on it too. Just because you, you, one thing you have to get yourself used to again is how big these contests are going to be. Uh, and you know, sometimes it it can be the DD Westbrook captain or the Smith Marset captain that ends up. You know, all that person needs to do in that position to be profitable there uh, is score a touchdown. But I might also remove some lower projected. Um, even CJ Ham was kind of interesting, right? With the uncertainty of this game at the running back position, I can see why he's getting uh, some some captain love here. But I might start xing out some of those guys as well here um, to kind of clean up this captain pool and make sure that I'm playing um, some like real upside guys there. Uh, another thing, like just worth noting here, is like on a on a slate with a really high total, the the uh, 
the quarterbacks might be really popular, right? Kirk Cousins might be a really popular captain if this had a much higher total. Um, ben Roethlisberger might have had been a more popular captain if this game had a higher total. Here, they're not, right? So I'm okay playing them here. Um, but that's one thing to look at too is your your quarterbacks as well. Um, so, okay, so we've kind of cleaned up the, the captain pool a little bit here. We've removed defenses and uh, kickers from our overall pool. Now let's try going back to that construction a little bit more as well. And let's at least get rid of Minnesota four stacks, right? And we're going to say we're we're at least going to play if if we play if we play Minnesota stacks, we're playing them in a way that's a balanced lineup. Uh, otherwise, we're going to play um, lineups that are overweight to Pittsburgh, right? And now I might be feeling kind of good about how maybe this is coming together, right? I'll go back through and double check here again and make sure that I'm happy with this. I could also even go a little bit further again and uh, try to see if we can maybe play some more focused um, Pittsburgh captains, right? And hope that the upside is, is on a, a Steeler here. Um, and I'm basically just kind of, I'm basically testing the pool of 500 to see what it is flexible to. Uh, how can I get different in a way that, where there are still lineups and sims that support that outcome, but in a way that I don't think the field is going to actually truly appreciate, right? That's kind of the way I'm thinking about it. The first time we did this just a minute ago, uh, we, we, we pushed the sims in a direction that, that wasn't really viable, right? We did too much. This time around, I feel a little bit better about this. So that's kind of what I'm thinking about, right? I'm not worrying too much about individual lineup construction, to be honest. I let the Sims handle that, right? Because I know if I'm seeing a lineup over here, it means that that lineup is optimal for at least one simulation, right? Which is kind of all I need to know to know that that lineup's decent. I can do a little bit of selection here uh, on my end in the exposures to divert, to uh, get a little different from the field, but it's good enough for me to know that the, the Sim is supporting that lineup for me to be willing to play it there. Um, so yeah, man, Dalvin Cook went for 38.2. I, I remember this slate so well um, now at this point. Um, this was this was a fun one. Um, ben Roethlisberger had 43 in the captain spot. So um, anyway, that is kind of how I'm thinking about it, right? Um, is let the Sims handle the ranges of outcomes and the uh, the lineups associated with them. What I'm going to handle is like providing that kind of human element of, hey, uh, here's here's how I I don't know, like here's here's what I think here's what I think people are going to underappreciate, right? This is what I think people are going to do wrong. So, um, Metal Alloy brings up a good point. He says, "Love the new update I saw on the Run Pure show, which is where I just was." Um, you can swap and build lineups. That is a great update. Yeah. So for those that don't already know, you now have the ability to edit lineups here um, in the app, right? So you can pick any of these lineups. And this is, I think people are going to love this for football, right? You come over here and you're like, hey, I love this lineup uh, all except for the fact that uh, it's Najee Harris captain and Benny Snell here. Um, I'm fine. Maybe you say I'm fine punting to like basically anybody else right? Any other like random guy. Um, maybe you want to take a stab on uh, Smith Marset or something like that, right? Um, and now you can save that lineup and lock it in and play this version of that lineup instead, right? Really cool. Really cool stuff. I think people are going to love, love, love that for football. I'm very excited as well uh, to, to make some little changes and things like that as we get into football season here, um, especially for showdown. I think for showdown, you know, sometimes you see that lineup where it is just like, hey man, if that one one player like says two players were kind of just a little bit different. Uh, I would, I would dig this lineup a little bit more. So cool. Um, but, uh, with that, that is the only other question I had in the queue here for me today. 
Um, anybody else have any other questions for me here? Um, I would love to say that we could start looking at, I, I'm so very, very excited uh, to start looking at some slates for this year. Um, I wonder if we even have the actual slate loaded in the app, like for week one, just because it'd be fun to just kind of start seeing what some builds are looking like, what things are kind of, how things are coming together a little bit, but I don't think, uh, yeah, we have, okay. So it looks like we're picking up, oh no, this is something else. We're not, we're not there yet. So very excited about football. I will say one thing uh, to, to look forward to coming up here in the near future on the Saberson side, um, Max and I uh, are planning on doing some kind of uh, best ball type stream here in the near future. Um, we don't strictly support uh, best ball in the app. There's not really any Saberson best ball product, but uh, he's been grinding out some best ball drafts. Uh, I've been grinding out some best ball drafts. I know probably many of you listening along have been as well. Uh, so we are working on getting that scheduled right now. A good time for us to just, we'll probably do it a little bit later in the day, probably not in the main part of the, the day like these shows are. Um, probably be a little bit more of a casual kind of vibe, answer some questions, talk a little best ball strategy, maybe do a best ball draft here live on stream as well. Um, I don't know. I don't know about you guys, but I have been like super addicted to best ball all, uh, all summer, basically, especially starting in July. So if you guys have been playing, I know a few of you out there have been asking for that kind of content. Uh, so I think it'll be fun. Um, again, there's no, there's no best ball product at the moment within Saberson. There's not even really a lot of best ball products out there, period. Um, but I think a lot of the concepts that you would learn from building DFS lineups uh, for NFL in the app, you can apply to um, to best ball drafts, right? Correlation has value. Uh, there's a value in balancing diversification versus upside. Um, I think to some extent, ownership uh, even... Um, even uh, like comes into play a little bit as well there. So um, anyway, um, Eamon said, I'm going to, I'm going to just address the question here uh, and, and just avoid getting into anything uh, else here. But um, in terms of what does it mean to hedge a contest here? Um, basically, you know, hedging, uh, hedging your, your bets, right. Would be kind of like basically taking, um, you know, I guess a hedge in like a traditional sports betting sense would be, you know, I, at least the way I've often heard it applied is once you have like locked in or have an opportunity to lock in a portion of profit on a bet, you can take the other side to, to basically, well, you can take the other side of a bet to basically guarantee that you, you get that profit. Right. Uh, so like, let's say, let's say you bet, uh, the bills to win the Super Bowl right now. And they're like, probably, I don't even know what they are. Plus. 800 maybe would be like a guess right and then you get to the super bowl uh in february and uh it's the bills versus the rams right just as an example um you would then probably be able it would be there would be a bet that you could make mathematically on the rams where you were locking in profit right you wouldn't it wouldn't be your maximum profit if the bills won the maximum profit approach would have been to have just stayed with it but if the rams win you lose the bills bet uh, but you had a bet on the Rams that kind of bounces out, right? So you can kind of think about this somewhat in a similar way for DFS, right? That's at least kind of what um, what Tim in chat was talking about, right? So, you know, if you are, let's just build some lineups here for tonight's slate, right? So let's say you're playing 20 lineups 
And based on the builds I was running earlier, it seems like we really like Jeffrey Springs. I think everybody's going to like Jeffrey Springs here tonight. Uh, a way to hedge that would basically be to get some exposure to Tiger's bats, where you're basically saying, hey, like I'm pretty exposed to Jeffrey Springs in the event that there's a downside outcome here uh, or a floor outcome. Uh, what's the best way that I can have the other side of that? Now, it's not strictly a true hedge in the same way what I talked about before was, because you're not necessarily, you're not locking in a profit here. You're not guaranteeing a profit. You're just really, I think actually a better way of describing this is it's really just diversification, right? Uh, it's really just, um, it's really just a, a, a diversification thing, right? Like you're not, you're not actually doing a true hedge. You're, you're just getting exposure to, to um, a wider variety of teams, I think is actually a better way to say it, right? So yes, again, right? Yes. We, we like Jeffrey Springs here tonight, projected as maybe the best pitcher on the slate, 7,100. I think he's going to be very popular. How do we hedge that, right? Um, one way to do that would be to find a way to get a little exposure to Detroit. And maybe in this case, it's just 10%, right? You, you don't even need to, it doesn't even need to be a ton, right? So now we have a handful of lineups here uh, where we can basically play the other side of that game, right? So um, a good example yesterday would have been like Mariner stacks, right? Uh, for the Garrett Cole blow up. Right, you get to some Mariner stacks. You're 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 kind of um, playing, and I think there is I think there is some value to this um, as a way of basically maximizing or maintaining a very high expected value while limiting your your potential worst case scenario downside. Um, there's been a lot of discussion about this, like these kinds of concepts on like lulls recently. If anybody, if you guys listen to lulls, um, I know like Brian's been talking a lot about negatively correlating your lineups within a portfolio, not like negatively correlating a lineup, but taking lineups and like playing a portfolio of lineups that are somewhat negatively correlated to one another or as diversified as possible, especially in a, in a sport like baseball where there are there is an enormous number of lineups that are probably uh, all have a similar number, uh, all have a similar expected value, right? That you can basically sacrifice negligible or zero expected value and diversify significantly. Now, um, in in practice, right? Like it's it's not it's not necessarily like always easy to do that, and it doesn't always necessarily like create the best sweat. Overall, um, like if you are the type of DFS player that wants to pick your guys and kind of like have a rooting interest uh, across the board, um, I think that can be difficult to do. But I do think there's a pretty strong argument. Again, I don't think I would call it hedging, but in a, to diversify in that way. Um, and I've actually been trying to incorporate a little bit of that into my process as well. I think this stack pool exposures really does help for that somewhat, right? Um, I think it can remind you of uh, of somewhat of like... Even if you're not running a true research build, I think this stack, this um, this column can help you identify just like the probability of success uh, for these different players. Um, we were talking about that yesterday, right? How much should I diversify if I'm going to diversify? Um, where is the where's pool? Oh no, let's see here. Right, I think this can kind of help, right? Like if you're just looking at this and you're like, man, that seems like a lot of Jeffrey Springs exposure. Do I really want that much? Like this, this can help remind you, like, hey. It's only 50% of the lineups in your pool that have springs, right? Uh, if you want to, um, you know, you can probably uh, diversify that without getting um, without getting uh, far away for um, your, 
without getting far away from the your original expected value and then just diversify a little more and reduce your risk. So um, Neil, 8.3 exposures for everyone. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's the thing. It's like if you if you try to just match all of your exposures to your pool exposures, you'll eventually just, it just won't work because there's not enough combinations, right? So you, you do have to take like some stands here. Um, and just because as as your as your number of lineups that you are playing gets smaller, the number of discrete exposures that you can even mathematically hit gets lower. Um, you, you also have to think about it that way as well, right? Um, like we can only we can only get two exposures in multiples of five here, um, and there's only 500 lineups in the pool, so that's something to think about there as well. But um, I do think that's a, a a a direction that things are moving a little bit, and we're actually already talking about that on our end of of stuff we can implement into the app to kind of basically like address that. Um, and right now, when you right now when you um, when you're using SaberSim, lineup two doesn't care what lineup one is, right? It's just part of the way that the app works, right? Like this, this lineup is just the second best lineup that meets all of your exposures here uh, after this one. This was the first one and this is the second one. But in practice, uh, from your portfolio, from like trying to maximize your upside, trying to maximize your profit with minimal risk, this lineup does care what this lineup is, Right. If you could make this lineup be, if you could make this lineup be uh, the exact same expected value of this lineup and have zero shared players in common, it would it would be in your, it would be to your benefit to do so because you are then like completely uncorrelating those lineups. And in fact, if you could negatively correlate those lineups, it would probably be even better. Um, the The problem is is actually doing so in a way that doesn't sacrifice a ton of EV, right? Because there is, I mean especially as you add more and more lineups, you, you do eventually run into a situation where you are sacrificing EV. So um, anyway, um, all of this to say, I, I think, what are we even talking about here? I'm on like a rant now. Um, all of this to say, I, I do think there is some argument to like thinking about things in that way, uh, even if they aren't mathematical hedges necessarily. So, um, but... Anyway, what else? What other questions do we have here for today? Any other questions for me? Let's take a look. Um, all right. A couple questions trickling in in Slack here. Troubles uh, has a question about pitchers on a research build. Let's take a look. Love me a research build. We haven't done one yet. Uh, man, uh, 26 minutes into the stream and we haven't done a research build. That's got to be some kind of record, right? Um, let's let's do it here. 1,500. Zero. We'll let this build. And I'll use the opportunity as always to try to help catch anybody up that's watching me do this for the first time. Like, whoa, why did that guy just change all those settings? I never do that. Uh, what this is, I call this a research build. We uh, we basically turn all the sliders to zero, except for sim precision, which we turn to 10. Uh, and the point of this is to basically sim the slate. We're essentially simming the slate out with a single game simulation for every game, 1500 times. And it'll kind of roughly let you approximate how likely certain players are to be optimal. Um, like literally in the, the optimal player in that position for that lineup. Um, and I think it's a useful way to start seeing how, uh, where ownership inefficiencies are, right? Where, where some opportunities to take some stands are. So last night I ran this and I was so under the field on Padres. I was, I had, my research build took me in a direction of basically, I had so many brewer stacks 
who were like the next best team. I, I, according to my research build, they seemed like slightly overowned, uh, but generally pretty efficient. And the Padres were just massively overowned, um, which, which worked out okay. Uh, it, I thought it was going to work out better. I, I was definitely feeling good after the first game, uh, but then the Padres put up like 10 runs or whatever. So it kind of broke down from there, but uh, let's talk about this. Let's see what we are seeing in our research build here, right? So we're comparing exposure, which in this case is the probability of the player being in the optimal lineup uh, to their ownership projection and seeing what we see, it is a really ugly pitching slate. Um, honestly, first thing that jumps out to me here is that I don't think we're going to be able to find a ton of leverage on this particular slate on pitching, right? It just doesn't seem like ownership is that inefficient. Um, the ownership will dial in and actually probably become less efficient throughout the day, weirdly, right? Um, our ownership here, like right now, uh, is probably based a little bit more on our projections. And as other sources update throughout the day and we actually get an idea of what the field is likely to do, uh, these numbers will get more accurate, but I would say less efficient compared to our Sabersim numbers. So in other words, you'll probably see bigger, better opportunities to take stands as throughout the day. But for right now, um, doesn't look like there's a ton of great op options, right? Um, Jeffrey Springs even looks actually like a pretty efficient play, right? Like, yes, there's a 5% inefficiency here, um, but there's there's also some error to these, right? Like if this number was actually 28, um, then all of a sudden your, your, your ownership edge there is disappearing. Uh, I think there's an interesting angle here if people... Uh, start getting attached to Justin Verlander, which I think they could. It seems like he is one of the um, less efficiently owned pitchers here tonight. So that might be a way to get a little bit different here on tonight's slate. It, it, our Sims are basically saying playing Verlander is basically the same as playing Carrasco or Manoa and the ownership does not agree. Um, so that does seem like an opportunity here. So I think that's probably the, the angle that I would take here. Um, so I would say, honestly, probably just like being under on Verlander is how I would kind of think about approaching this or at most, even with the field, um, I'd probably be a little bit cautious of Jeffrey Springs just because I, I also do think this number is going to be, I think, it, I think one thing that can be useful to think about on your research builds is if you're wrong, what direction are you going to be wrong in, which does require a little bit of intuition and, and like a little bit of experience playing the sport, but 7,100 projected pitcher that I think is going to just project very well in all projected models, projection models tonight. I think this number is not going to get any lower than this. I think this number could be higher than this. So I would probably proceed with caution there a little bit as well. Um, it might be that a lot of the leverage opportunities are on the bats here tonight instead. So we'll go take a look there um, and see. Um, honestly, not a ton here as well either. Um, not a lot of inefficient ownership. Um, let's just see how the top overall bats look. Um, so Philly, Tampa Bay, Boston, Houston, which all kind of the usual suspects makes a lot of sense here. Um, I mean, it does look like maybe you're getting an opportunity to fade, um, a particularly, or be under on a particularly chalky Kyle Schwarber here. Um, but it just doesn't look like ownership is that inefficient. I would probably say if people are going to rush to play Phillies and Tampa Bay and Houston and Boston, I might see just like what other ways I can get a little bit different there. Like what, how can I do, how can I, how can I get exposures to some other teams? But honestly, a slate where there's not 
at least at the moment, I think a ton of ownership inefficiency. And that's okay. Sometimes that happens. So let's actually talk about like applying this now. Um, and let's do it for a 150. We haven't done 150 max in a while here on stream. So uh, we'll just use the default settings. This is like, maybe you're playing the, the mini max or something like that, right? Um, and I'm gonna, one thing I'm gonna do here because I know I'm gonna be editing exposures is I'm going to be uh, increasing my pool size to 1500. So I have more lineups to play with, right? So I'm going to just build these now and we'll take what we just saw in our research build and we'll try to apply some concepts here and see what we're we're thinking. So Willie said, I, I just did a 20 max yesterday and had 19 <laughs> Milwaukee stacks and one a Dodger stack. Glad to know you got a Milwaukee too. I had so much Milwaukee. It's absurd. I had 92% Milwaukee stacks and 150 lineups. Um, I probably should have diversified to be honest. I, it was probably a little extreme, but um, that was just where, where my process was taking me. So, um, but, and Benny Hanna said, uh, saw a mix of, uh, Milwaukee and Pittsburgh game stacks too, Jordan. Yeah. I had a lot of Pittsburgh as well. Um, and then question, what is the relationship between the percentile and sim precision, if any? Uh, yeah, so they, they are kind of related here. So the, the percentiles basically look at the full range of outcomes and then basically kind of create breakpoints for certain probabilities. So the 95th percentile is basically what they, that's the, the, I think the mathematical, the best way of describing it is 95% of the SIM outcomes are below that number, right? Only 5% are above it. So it's basically like they only meet or exceed that point projection in 5%, 5% of the time, right? The 50th percentile would be like the middle outcome. Half of the SIMs are above that, half of the SIMs are below that, right? So the percentiles kind of help you see breakpoints and visualize probabilities or think about probabilities within the full range of outcomes of the sims. Uh, the sim precision slider here is, is, it also interacts with the sims, but what this is basically saying is for a given lineup, how many sims is that lineup going to be based on? So by the default, the default value for tonight for a 150 max is seven which means 11 simulations per lineup. So for every lineup, we pull 11 random sims out of our out of our database of thousands of sims for each game, right? And this is 11 sims per game. So it's 11 sims per game. We set the player projections to the average from those 11 sims uh, and then use that projections to build just that lineup. And then we get a different set of 11 sims for the next lineup, right? So they both kind of, they're not, I wouldn't say they're necessarily like related, um, but they're both, kind of ways of inter interacting with the simulation. So, um, but good question there. Let's, let's keep it going here. We'll, 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 we'll kind of back up, I guess, to this question here and talk about like, what, okay, so what do we do with this information now? So um, again, the, the two numbers that I think are really most useful for me when deciding where I want to end up on players is the ownership projection and now this new pool, right? Um, so again, we think, let's start with Verlander. I think that's a more interesting case here. So if we think that the field's going to roster him at 30%. It is interesting. We have 38% in our pool. Um, but just considering that this is like one of the main inefficiencies that it seems like we're going to get on tonight's slate, I think I'm going to start with at least max even with the field here. Um, and now Jeffrey Springs, interesting example as well here. I think what I'm going to do, since it, it doesn't seem like it's the most inefficient ownership here, I think I'm going to I'm going to just be even with our pool, right? I'm going to just say, you know what, the the probability of being in any lineup of our pool, that's where I'm going to stay with, with Jeffrey Springs. Um, so I'm kind of capping there. I'm not taking like extreme stance on either of those guys, I don't think. Um, 
One other player that did show up, and I didn't mention it, but I saw his name here down at the bottom. Uh, Jose Quintana does look like that he he does have some inefficient ownership here coming his way. Um, 21%, uh, not to me, like a guy that really stands out on this particular slate. Um, we're coming in under the field already, um, which looks pretty good, but I might actually just keep that. I might just set that to 10 so we don't actually end up over the field on him at some point as we're making other changes. So, um, and then this is pushing us in a direction, Carlos Carrasco, uh, Alec Manoa, Nick Pavetta, Cindergaard, right? Some of these other guys, I think that that all kind of makes sense as the logical pivots there. Um, let's go over to the team stacks here and we'll do this on the stack side because I know people are always interested to see this on the stack side. Um, so again, the teams that I think are kind of like riskier here or that just like slightly overowned. this, this, if I could describe this slate in a, slate in a word, it's flat. Right. It seems like it's kind of flat on pitchers. It seems like it's kind of flat on stacks. I, I don't think there's like a ton of like you gotta have, you gotta play this guy. Uh, and it doesn't seem like ownership's getting out of hand anywhere. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna try to get a little bit different and diversify and avoid a situation where I'm like going really hard on on one team or another or or playing a team that is getting some more of that ownership. So I might cap Boston to around my pool exposure here as well. Um as well as Tampa Bay, right? Around maybe 25%. I'm going to just set Houston here to uh, 22%, just so I don't get over on them as well. And then Philly, um, I'm going to set to 15%, um, which is around my stack exposure. And that's just going to give me an opportunity to get to some different teams here, right? We're getting a little bit more White Sox all of a sudden. We're getting to some Cubs stacks. We're getting to some Washington stacks. We're not like... I think this is actually a good opportunity. This is a good build for us to have done today because sometimes I think in the research build, I give this impression that I look at it and I just like start Xing out teams and Xing out teams and Xing out teams. Uh, and that might be true if I was playing one or three or even 20 lineups, but on 150, I like to spread out a little bit more. So um, this is a kind of a good way to do it. The one other thing I might do here before I kind of call this build complete is I might go back to that research build one more time and look to see, are there any teams that I actually think I like specifically want to get to, right? Are there any teams that actually have some positive leverage or it seems like are being un unappreciated by the field? Um, and given the context of the rest of the slate, I don't think there are going to be any, um, but we'll take a quick look. Um, a lot of times I'll, I'll apply a little intuition here as well. Uh, some of the teams I like to look for when I'm doing this, if I'm looking for a, a reason to play a team, I like good teams against good pitchers, right? I also like bad teams against bad pitchers, right? So if there's a if there's a good pitcher that's chalky play, pitching into a, a good team, I kind of like getting a little exposure to the other side of that. I'm willing to play that. Um, so like yesterday's a good example where like Seattle, I think is like a, that's a pretty good lineup. It's a pretty good team. It's a team I'm comfortable stacking on most nights. Um, into Garrett Cole, like I, I sh probably should have gotten a little Seattle. I didn't. But the following, the main slate last night, the A's are not a good team right? Against Otani. That doesn't mean the A's are a bad team to stack. It doesn't mean you can't stack them, but I'm just a little less excited about it. Uh, today, for example, um, almost all the good pitchers are playing good teams, right? Like the Guardians at least have a pretty decent lineup. The Twins are a good hitting lineup. The Braves are a good hitting lineup. And then you have Springs, who's like the chalkiest one of them all up against the, the Tigers. Um, I think it kind of depends a little bit on how what like how good you think Jeffrey Springs is, but I'm not completely bought in at the moment that that's like an elite pitcher. Um, so I'll probably I'm probably like I would be willing to find reasons to play Tiger stacks as well. So if we look through this, right, 
that's kind of, I wanted to preface that because all of a sudden you see there's a little bit of positive leverage on the Braves, the Twins, the Guardians, the Tigers, right? Like all of the teams that I think there are reasons to play, there is some positive leverage on. Um, so I might go back here now and then use this as a reason to get a little bit exposure to some of these other teams. How much exposure? Well, I will let the stack pool help guide me, right? Because this is saying, like, we're actually getting 10, we're already over on Detroit. We're getting 10% Detroit, right? Um, but there's three and a half percent in our pool. Let's look for some of these other Atlanta. Here's a good example, right? Like how much Atlanta do we want to get? Well, it, there's nine, 9% of our entire pool of lineups have an Atlanta stack in there. Um, clearly there's some viability there, even if they're not popping up as the top overall team, right? Let's get some brave stacks. Um, twins. Here's a, here's a counter example, right? Twins and, and guardians, right? How much twins and guardians can we really get here? Well, not, not a whole lot, right? Like the, oh, you guys can't see this. Sorry. I'm, I'm down here at the very bottom. Uh, Guardians and twins, right? We're getting 2% of each of them. So I might like say like, hey, let's get like a little bit of these teams, right? Like let's let's get some, a little bit diversity here um, and get some exposure to these guys, but I'm not going to go crazy there. And this is also kind of what I was referring to before, right? Where you have more like 2% exposure actually means something when you're playing 150 lineups, right? Like you can actually, that, that actually that has a legitimate effect, right? So um, all of a sudden we're talking about a pool of lineups that I like probably would feel pretty good about, right? We didn't do anything too crazy here. We uh, we capped some pitchers that we think maybe look a little inefficiently owned. Um, we are maybe going out and getting exposure. We're capping exposure to a few team stacks that look like maybe a little chalky. Uh, we're And then we're, we're getting a little bit of exposure to some teams that I think are going to go underappreciated. I think um, the Braves really stand out as a team that, it just seems like it's a good opportunity to get some Braves exposure here tonight. That it doesn't seem like they're going to be a very popular play to me. And I'm also not very opinionated about what type of stack I get with these guys either. So like I, I if I if I bump up the Braves to 10% and almost every single one of those is a Braves two stack, or the majority of them are two or three stacks, I'm fine with that. To me, that's Saberson filling in the gaps. To me, that's Saberson saying, okay, you want to stack this team, you want to get a little exposure there. Here's a good way to do it. So I have no problem doing that. So. Um, all right, cool. There was another question here. Uh, Nipsey. Um, had said, hey, Jordan, I went through the chaos of late swapping last night. Is there any way to adjust team exposures from games that haven't started during the late swap process? Um, yes, there is. So it's kind of complicated. Right. Um, but so at the moment, there is, the only way to set team stack exposures in Sabersim is within a build. But you can send those team stack exposures back to the projections tab. And even though you won't be able to see them there, they will work for another build. So like, let's say we, we worked really hard on these team stack exposures and we want to make sure we have them throughout the rest of the slate. And then we need to late swap for some reason, right? We need to actually run a late swap build. We can actually go back to this build. Let's actually first, let me get an entries file up here. So I can actually put these lineups in. Okay. Okay, so we'll just do that. Okay, so now we have lineups. Let's do this real quick too. Okay. 
So now, now let's say for some reason we actually have to late swap, right? So we have this entries file. So we can actually send these exposures that we made back to the home screen. And it's going to say, this This is like a very important message. It's going to say, you're sending team game and stack exposures to the home screen where they can't be changed. These exposures will apply to upcoming builds, but you can't see them on the projections tab, right? It's just a weird quirk on the way the app is right now. But if we send these home and then we went and did a late swap, right? So now it's lock, right? Now it's a late swap build. Uh, the late swap here will actually, will will still account for those team stack exposures from the original build because we sent them back to the projections tab. So that's how you do it. Um, in the future, there'll be a dashboard where you can just edit them. That's what we're working on right now, actually. But right now, um, you have to send them from an old existing build to get them there. So. Uh, Art Vandelay. <laughs> um, that's a funny name. Said, uh, uh, usually for most slates, I will increase or decrease at least two players projection by around 10%. Maybe it depends on slate size and other factors. Uh, but do you think it's unwise to say five or 10%, five or 10 players projections? If I adjust too many players, I'm surely doing more harm than good for my lineups. Is there a way to know how much is too much? I would actually say if you are sticking to 10% adjustments, I would adjust essentially to your heart's content. Um, so uh, one thing real quick, I should just mention it. Since we saw that message, you can't meet the exact requested exposures. Uh, you should be aware in a in a late swap build, uh, exposures are a little bit more of like guidelines just because we're not building a full pool of lineups. We're just building the exact 150 you need. Uh, you need to be willing to be a little bit more flexible with your exposures in late swap builds. So quickly wanted to just touch on that, but um, let's come back here. Um, yeah, so anyway, if you're if you're doing like, if you're if you're sticking to 10% adjustments, I would go crazy. I would adjust to your heart's content. I I think it's unlikely that you like really just break something on a 10% player adjustment. Um now, I mean, there's no there's no sense in adjusting a player without any cause whatsoever, right? Don't I wouldn't adjust every player 10% up or down just just to say you did. But if you are opinionated about 10 different players, 20 different players, 30 different players, I would I would keep I would adjust. I would make adjustments. Right. Um, you know, if you're opinionated about every pitcher in the pool, for example, right. And you want to adjust all these guys, I would go for it. The nice thing about staying within 10% is Saberson is not perfect, but it's a very good, uh, baseball simulator, baseball projection model, right? It's very, very accurate. Uh, like we've, we've back tested it in past seasons heavily and, and feel very confident about it. So, we're, we can be wrong sometimes, but I think it's unlikely that we're ever like significantly out of line on a player. Uh, so when you're making a 10% adjustment, it kind of, it, it helps you stay in frame a little bit and it helps you do things like, you know, it helps you assess fragility, I think is actually a really good way of looking at it, right? Like you may say, man, I'm getting so much Jeffrey Springs here tonight. Like, do I really want to do that? Is that really the direction I want to play? Right. Um, adjusting uh, Jeffrey Springs by a 1.8 points, which is 10% of his original projection here, which would take him down to um, about 17 points. You're still within like a reasonable error band of the original projection. And then you can see what impact that has on your build. And actually, I did this experiment on the run pure stream before we went live here. And what, what I found is actually that this projection is very fragile tonight. Right. As this projection drops, uh, you start getting a lot less springs really fast. 
So it is an interesting angle here of saying like, well, if the Saberson model is actually off just by 10% in the, the to, to the downside, uh, suddenly you get like 10% of him, 15% of him instead of 100%. So um, same thing, you know, Verlander would be another interesting example. Maybe you take the other side of this and you say, you know, I, I find it hard to believe that Verlander is like in line with all four of these guys, right? I mean, to me, I'm, I'm I'm not saying that this is necessarily how I think, but I'm I'm kind of proposing an angle. I guess maybe maybe the angle is that like Verlander is a, a tier above, right? Um, and to really kind of deserve being that tier above, he deserves a bump of I'm gonna just say uh, I'm gonna say to 20, 20.5 points, right? That's about ten percent again, right? Now he kind of stands out in a tier, and then you could run another build here. Um, and actually, whoops, let me real quickly, I want to reset player projections and exposures and stack exposures and everything. So let's do that again real quick, because I don't want those exposures that we sent home affecting this, right? So maybe you do that. And now you can run another build and we'll just do 20 this time and uh, see what the impact of that is. Um, and that's just with a 10% adjustment, right? Like that's not a that's not an enormous adjustment for these guys. So um, yeah, I would say no problems there. But let's let's run this build and see. Um, but give this a second to to build. So Patrick says, when you attend a Coors game, do you like to stack the game for fun? I feel like that's one of the unwritten rules of DFS. You have to. You got to do it. First of all, if you're going out, for me, don't don't do the whole. Don't do the whole process. Don't do the whole. I've 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 had way too many times where I'm going out and I'm like, well, I'm not leaving till like lock is at five five o'clock my time. I'm not leaving till six. I'll just play DFS and it's just not worth it, right? Like it, it really isn't. You're worrying about late swapping, especially during NBA season, whatever. But single bullet, couple lineups, why not? If you're going to the game, you have to stack the game. Those are the rules. You'll feel dumb. It, worst thing I so there was a game last year I went to, um, and. Uh, it was like Reds or Reds were in town or something like that. We got tickets for like six bucks, something like that. Uh, not, not very expensive seats. Uh, and I one I did, I, I did like, I played 150 lineups and I was like worrying about starting confirmed lineups when I'm like at the game. And I was like, this is, this is dumb. I don't know why I did this. And two, I faded Coors, the galaxy brain. Like I am, I was like, Oh, Coors is chalky. I'm going to fade it. And the game went, the game went off for like, it was like 12, nine, um, and I was like sitting there like such a nerd rooting for the game to like go under the implied total at the game. It's not worth it. So if you go to, if you're going out, first of all, I, I, my recommendation, take it easy on the DFS, right? Just enjoy your night out. Uh, and then two, stack the game. If you're going to the game, it's the rules. Those, those are the rules. And I'll just say that for any sport. Like I know there's not really a real good argument to game stack in a, uh, in basketball or something like that, but, Forget it, right? If I'm if I'm going to the if I'm going to the game, I'm stacking the game. At least one player on the other side too. Might as well, right? So anyway, let's look at this build real quick. Um, so what happened here, right? Look at this. I mean, this is crazy. Like this is so, and this isn't always the case. You will run into situations where player projections are anti-fragile, right? Where you adjust them significantly and nothing changes. Ten percent boost to Verlander, clearly the best play on the slate. Ten percent drop to Jeffrey Springs. Ten percent ownership, right? And now some of that is because of the ownership, right? Like this ownership projection was generated based on his higher his higher projection. 
So we're almost double counting here because we've dropped his projection, but we're still counting his ownership as if it was this. So like something to be aware of. And also actually another thing to be aware of, this went down. At the start of the show, this was at 30, right? And I said I thought it was going to go up from there. It's actually gone down from there. So something to keep an eye out. But anyway, it just goes to show you like the the, the pro little projection updates can have a big impact. So, all right. Any other questions here for me on today's stream? Uh, how about 10 or so-ish minutes left here uh, for today? Um, it is... a. Uh, it it is certainly a bit of an ugly slate here tonight, I think. It uh flat flat feels like that perfect word. Um not not the best pitching slate, not the uh not the best like hitting slate either. Um, but uh the prizes are the same. So sometimes the ugly slates are the the ones that you really want to play the most because they're they're ugly to everybody. But um I'm interested to see as well. Like, it doesn't seem... I'm curious just kind of how ownership's going to fall here tonight. Because it seems like you're going to be able to get some good teams pretty easily. Let's see what, let's see what Vegas thinks. It seems like you're going to be able to stack some, like, pretty good teams in some decent spots with very little ownership tonight, right? Like, if the field really does think that it's, like, it's all in Phillies, Phillies Rays, Red Sox... Um, I don't know. Seems like, uh, seems like playing like Cardinals or White Sox is just like pretty easy, right? All right. Well, this dashboard's not working. Um, so something to keep an eye on. That would be one other angle to look at. Um, but I think it also just depends on how the ownership kind of all plays out. So. Um, Patrick said, how's golf? I don't really know. I got to go back and look at my lineups. I know I had like 60% Sungjae. Uh, so when I woke up, um, I was feeling pretty good. It was like a couple hours ago, even, uh, I was feeling pretty good. I didn't wake up a couple hours ago, but when I woke up and a couple hours ago, I was still feeling good. Um, I don't know how he ended up finishing the round. Um, I, so I have a lot of Sungjae. I have a lot of Shane Lowry. Um, and I have a lot of those guys together. So a lot of my lineups also have a lot of like lower salary, seven K six K kind of golfers. Um, I did kind of a similar build strategy that I've done the last few weeks, uh, where I'm, I'm, I would say I'm pretty light on just like the eight K and nine K range overall. And a lot of my lineups are two 10 K golfers and then filled in with seven K and six K guys. I felt like for the last few weeks that we've kind of played the same event from a game theory angle, like three times in a row where it's like, I, I feel like there's. I feel like as a good 10 K range and then like a huge tier gap and then this nine K range, but everybody wants to play all these nine K golfers. Um, I also, I faded. Um, I was, I was pretty heavy on some of my stands on some of the chalkier golfers this week. Like I'm, I'm always on Siwoo Kim. I'm off him this week. I don't like playing a chalky Siwoo. Um, I haven't really bought in on the, the Tom Kim hype yet either. Again, it's just like, I think I think he's a great prospect. Uh, I think he's going to be. I think he's a especially a good nab for the PGA Tour. Um, but it just seems like a little. It seems like he's getting a little bit chalkier than his his chances of success. Really, um, there was last week he was so close to missing the cut, and then he like went nuts on the weekend um, and had had a couple really good rounds on the weekend. But he was very very close, very live to miss the cut, and I was kind of rooting for it last week. So. Uh, I don't really know how that all kind of shakes out. I, I'll have to go check and see how I'm doing. But um, 
this always kind of feels like sort of the last, like, I don't know, golf, golf DFS gets a little weird as we go into the playoffs from here on out until the, the season restart on in like September or whenever it is. And then the early like fall ball season stuff is, um, I don't know. Sometimes I, especially with football starting, sometimes I'm not as focused on playing golf DFS. So, uh, probably some of the last, maybe we'll see, we'll see how it all shakes out, but probably some of the last couple like events that I'll be really focused on and like really playing a lot of, um, for a bit here. So, um, but, uh, Patrick asks a good question. Does Aaron judge make a big difference to lineups if he's ruled out? Same things for a superstar player like Byron Buxton. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think he does. Um, I actually have a video up on our YouTube channel. Um, it's a really good one. Um, bias take excellent video, 10 out of 10. You guys should all go watch it. Uh, how to late swap an MLB DFS this one, 12 minutes long. Um, and one of the things I talk about in this video here, uh, is categorizing news in baseball as low impact or high impact. Um, and one of the things that I think kind of qualifies something as a high impact change is like a key fundamental player, like the best player on the team getting ruled out for that team, especially when it's combined with having a lot of exposure to that team. Right. So like if you're, uh, the twin, well, let's try to think. Um, I mean, the, the Phillies are fine, right? Like if you're playing a lot of Philly stacks tonight and you're like, Hey, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm eating the chalk I'm in. And then Kyle Schwarber, like it's scratched. Right. I mean, that, that has an impact on the way that they're projected, right? Um, and now it's not necessarily true that any given hitter is the same impact, right? In fact, probably the vast majority of hitters on a slate don't impact the team in that way where they don't radically change the way uh, that they're they're projected compared to the rest of the teams. But um, I think I think Schwarber getting ruled out could move the, the total for the Phillies. So I think it's a higher impact change. So in that case, when that happens... Uh, and again, this is, I, I talk about all this and I demo it live and, or not live. I demo it in this video. Um, but in that case, I'm more likely to use the late swap tool, which rebuilds those lineups instead of just quick swapping that player out. Uh, mostly just because I want to give the builder a chance to like check and basically say, Hey, do you still want to play these Philly stacks without Schwarber? Yes or no. Uh, and make a decision from there. So, um, uh, with all that said, right. Um, I that that's assuming that happens after lock. And I guess this is the first game on the slate. So that's not really a good example. If, if, if that news breaks before the lock, uh, before lock, I'll, I'll just rebuild pretty much everything. Like for the most part, as long as I have time, right? Like that's mostly more about like late scratches and things like that. Um, so, but good question. Okay, cool. I think we'll go ahead and leave it there. Uh, for today, um, this is the last stream of the week. I will be gone tomorrow, sadly. Um, so, uh, I will be right back here, uh, next week on Monday, two o'clock Eastern once again. Um, so enjoy the eight game slate here tonight. Uh, enjoy your Friday and your weekends. Um, quick note here on our, on our way out, uh, behind the Sims. There will be a new episode coming out here uh, by the end of the day today. I'm actually heading off to record that here uh, in the next half hour or so with the guys here. So if you've been listening along to the Behind the Sims uh, podcast, specifically the series that we're, we're doing right now about our slider backtesting, um, expect a new episode here out before the end of the day today. So uh, in the meantime, take care, uh, and I will see you all on Monday of next week. See ya.